Hello, hello, and welcome to The Art of Being You with me, Rachel Wortman. You guys, this podcast is all about learning to be who God created you to be, embracing that person, and ultimately living your best life with Jesus. We've got a lot of great content today, so let's get to it in The Art of Being You. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Welcome to The Art of Being You. So today I want to talk about something that is really near and dear to my heart. It is one of the main areas that I can see how God has transformed me in the last 10 plus years. And I think I'm not alone in this process. And I know that others probably need to hear this too, even though you may not end up agreeing with me. But I want to talk today about why I stopped being God's policeman. In other words, like why I stopped policing other people's spirituality. And to do that, I want to dive in and explain what does it mean to police people spiritually. But I want to tell you a story. When I was in college and right after college, I was a youth leader in my church and I had a group of eighth grade girls that I was leading And as those girls got into high school, many of them began to make not so great choices, as high schoolers often do. And two of these girls were actually small group leaders with me. So they had a a calling to be a leader, even though they were 16 years old. And I found out uh, in the course of this process that they were actually both engaging uh, in sexual acts with their respective boyfriends. And when I heard that, I just fell apart. I was simultaneously incredibly grieved for them and what that meant for their life, but also not very aware of how much I was grieved for myself and how that made me feel as a leader. And the way that I handled this situation, I would never do again. I sort of stopped everything, kind of like a stop the presses moment. And I basically went and had a conversation with uh, one of the girls and began to just ask her, you know, is there anything going on? What are you not telling me? And essentially kind of forced her to confess. She did not want to confess. She was not inviting me into that part of her life, but I already knew what was going on. And instead of being respectful of her boundaries and her process, I railroaded her is how I feel. And I basically was like, look, you need to tell me because I know this is true. And, you know, you might be listening to this and thinking, look, that has to happen sometimes, right? As leaders, especially as small group pastors or whatever, we do have to confront things that go on. But what I'm not telling you in the story is this was the weekend of this girl's prom and this was the day before her prom. And my own drive to get a confession, to repair this girl spiritually, whatever, really overrode all of my common sense to allow her a time uh, that should have been a great memory in her life, but instead was tainted by a, a really bad spiritual leader. I wish I could say that this girl went on to, you know, repent and be restored and all of that. That's not really what happened. The last time I heard, she actually had walked away from the faith completely. Now, I don't take responsibility for that component, although I know I did not help her understand the God of grace that you and I serve. In light of that, I want to dive into what it means to police people spiritually because it doesn't always look like those type of moments. Those are pretty extreme. 
And I want to take a look and help you see how do you know if you are actually doing this, if you're being God's policeman instead of a conduit of his grace. Here's the thing. When we are policing people spiritually, essentially what we're doing is using our strength to elicit a response. We are using the strength of our own faith to, whether we know it or not, coerce someone to believe as we do. And the dynamic that happens with this is when someone is is using their strength or their confidence or their leadership position to apply pressure to someone else, this takes the form of like quoting certain scriptures, right? Uh, almost twisting the word of God to elicit a little bit of a, quote, fear of the Lord, which is actually probably not the accurate uh, type of fear of the Lord God is looking for. And we use our strength to try to get someone to come in line with how we believe they're supposed to live in their life. The kicker of this, and the thing that I know to be so true, is when people operate like this as a leader, or maybe I should say as, quote, a leader, What they're doing is typically only working with people who are insecure because insecure people by nature, they want to be told whether they're doing something right or wrong, right? This is why churches with narcissists as leaders continue to happen. They continue to grow because there's so many people who are insecure, who struggle to think for themselves, who struggle to connect with God on a deeply personal level, and they want someone stronger, more authoritative, um, you know, to, to, to push them and to tell them when they're doing the right and wrong thing. But here's the other part of this dynamic. So you've got someone using their strength to push people into a certain way of being. Typically, that strength only works with insecure people. And then because it works, it creates this power dynamic where the strong one, the enforcer, the policeman, really continues down this journey of feeling like this is what it means to be a leader. Because look at all this fruit. Look at all these people who are having their lives transformed. But is it really transformation? To me, actual spiritual transformation is in the deepest place of yourself. You know who you are. That that person becomes more and more like Jesus. Less insecure more confident in your ability to hear from the Lord, more confident in interacting with the Holy Spirit, more confident in receiving his grace. The trouble is when we operate as God's spiritual policemen, there has to be an element of control or else the whole show doesn't work. If somebody begins to feel the Holy Spirit leading them in a different direction than what the policeman thinks, then all of a sudden you have a problem. This is a real challenge in the kingdom of God. I hope as you're listening to this, you're either seeing this pattern in yourself or you're able to identify it in other people. Let's get really specific. I've got four characteristics of what spiritual policemen actually do. So this will give you a good checklist. The first one is when when someone is acting like God's police, okay, Like, like it's their job to make sure you stay in line. This is what happens. Number one, they react in shock anger or disgust when someone tells them about someone else's sin, especially a Christian. So uh, this is usually not a confession moment, right? Usually what happens is person A says, did you hear person B is doing this in secret? And the spiritual policeman is shocked, angry, or disgusted when they hear that. Now, 
why is this a problem? Well, honestly, we need to be like Jesus, right? And Jesus, number one, is not surprised when people have sin in their life. And number two, he's not angry at them. His grace is so large that he's not angry. Now, he might grieve if there's injustice happening or like literal abuse, something like that. Yes, that's going to cause God to grieve. But God does not come in and punch people in the face for not obeying every letter of his law. So that's number one. Number two, there's a feeling that your relationship with that person who you now know has sinned is somehow broken because of this issue in their life. In other words, person A tells you about person B, and if you're the spiritual policeman, now you have this feeling that your relationship with person B is somehow broken or tainted because you know about what's going on in their private life. Number three, there's a, a real sense of urgency to get person B to confess or repent as soon as possible so that you can restore your relationship with them. The danger of this is that it's all about you as the policeman. It's all about you, right? It's about your need to fix the problem right away. Usually in this dynamic, it's not person B who's coming with the confession, right? It's not person B that's coming and saying, look, I screwed up. You know, would you forgive me? Would you help me? Let's encounter God's grace together. That's not what we're talking about here, right? What we're talking about is essentially gossip. When you find out about gossip, when you find out about sin in the camp, when you find out about something that's going on, how does it cause you to respond? When you believe you are God's policeman, so to speak, then it causes this sense of urgency, like everything has to stop to make this right. The best way I can explain this is the story I told you earlier. When I drove to the homecoming bonfire creation party uh, to pull this girl aside to have this conversation with her, it is one of the most embarrassing moments of my life and uh, something I've needed forgiveness for because um, I can't believe that I did that. But that's where it came from, this drive to be sort of God's policeman, this overactive need to help them restore their relationship with God through confessing their sin, which just is not how God operates. The fourth and final characteristic just for today, I, I can guarantee you there's more than these, but the ones we're going to look at today is being overly blind to how God is working and not taking the time to ask the Holy Spirit how to partner with him for this person. So again, you hear about person B and all of a sudden you know something's going on in their life and it's like full stop. This is a problem. I need to lend my strength to this situation to help them understand how much they need to change and grow. And in doing that, we become blind to how God is moving in their life. Now, I'm going to say something that might make you uncomfortable, but the Holy Spirit knows exactly how to lead each and every one of us. And sometimes he allows sin to go on for a little bit longer because he's trying to get to the root of it. He's trying to, to get to a different component of that person's life that will help unlock their ability to tap into the grace of God and rid themselves of that sin. What I'm trying to say here is sin management is not the most important part of our life with Jesus. In the new covenant, not once are we called sinners. In fact, if we really want to get super theological and technical, and maybe this is enough for a podcast in and of itself, but in the Garden of Eden, we did not receive a sin nature when Eve fell. There's only two verses people use for this, and the one of them is when Cain and Abel are having their squabble, right? And um, 
we have that moment where God says, I believe it's to Cain. I can never get it right. Which brother was the bad one. But when God says to the bad brother, sin is waiting at your door, trying to overtake you. You must have mastery over it. Well, this is the product, the firstborn product of Eve and Adam's sin and fall. And this child doesn't have a sin nature. In other words, God doesn't say sin is inside of you. You must master it. He says sin is outside of you trying to have mastery over you. Interesting. And the second verse that people use to define this idea that we have a sin nature, that we are inherently sinners, that we will never be anything but a sinner, is um, King David. And he talks about being born in iniquity. And the truth of the matter is most scholars believe that David was actually a bastard child, that his father had had an affair with someone else, and that's why he was out in the field and he wasn't counted as one of the sons. Um, that's, that's really actually probably what happened. The reason why his father didn't bring David in before Samuel was because he didn't consider him a legitimate child. Um, and so what David is talking about is not a sin nature. He's actually talking about knowing that he was born in sin. Totally different situation, right? So if we understand this, and then we look at the New Testament, and not once are we considered sinners. In other words, once we are a new creation, once we are born again, we are now a new creation. We're no longer sinners. We're saints. So what we're talking about here about being God's enforcer, God's policeman, is really what the Pharisees would do, not what Jesus did. It's overemphasizing our sinful acts as if that is the definitive thing about who we are. But listen, friends, it's not. I'm not saying that you're not capable of sin. You are. That's why multiple times in the New Testament we are compelled to confess our sin. I'm not saying that you might feel like you have a sin nature. But what I'm saying to you is from God's perspective, once you are born again, you don't have a sin nature. Your nature is to be like him. If you want to have a sin problem, he will let you. But it's really your choice. So when we become God's policeman, when we become God's enforcer, what we do is we create this dynamic that is solely focused on the behavior. When we do this, when we're compelled to police people, we are entering into the realm of the flesh and we're trying to apply the strength of striving to bring about change. This is not the way that Jesus challenged us to do it. So you might be asking, okay, wait a second, Rachel, what about 1 Corinthians 15, 33, right? This verse that says bad company corrupts good character. I mean, isn't this the reason why spiritual policemen feel like their relationship with that person is now tainted, right? Because uh, we want to be a holy people. We are a royal priesthood, right? A holy nation, all of these things. But I want to say to you that bad company, as 1 Corinthians 33 says, bad company corrupts good character. It's actually talking about evil people. And evil people are not usually in small groups. They're not usually showing up to church on a regular basis. They're not usually asking God to empower them to get out of their sin. So we have to be really careful about how we look at the relationships that we have in our life. Now, I'm certainly not saying that if you've got someone in your life and they are tempting you in ways, they are dragging you to sin. Yes, you need to cut them out. You need to do that. You need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to say, look, this relationship is not healthy for me for whatever reason. But that's not the same thing as almost looking for the bad eggs to apply our strength to get them out. I hope you guys are understanding what 
I'm trying to explain today. Listen, Jesus is not policing you. Jesus is not shaming you. Jesus is not coercing you. He is not applying his strength to make you get your life in gear. That's not the way that he works. Don't use the name of God to do it this way, to lead people this way, to to coerce people into acting a certain way. All of that is control and manipulation. Here's what you need to know. Love heals. Kindness leads to repentance and grace empowers growth. Let me say that one more time. Love heals. Kindness leads to repentance and grace empowers growth. If you care about person B in our example, if you care about the people in your life, then what they need most from you is the love of God flowing through you, not judging them, not condemning them, not putting them down. The grace of God flowing through you, empowering them to rise up into the likeness of Christ that God has made available for them. Your kindness creating an atmosphere where they are drawn to repent because the love of God is so palpable, it's so rich, it's so satisfying that they are willing to give up the ways of the world to have more of it. When we're policing people, that's not the atmosphere we're bringing into their lives. When we're policing people, we're bringing in an atmosphere of control. We're bringing in an atmosphere of sin management. We're bringing an atmosphere of behavioral modification. But when we are bringing the atmosphere of heaven, we're bringing the love that heals them of the wounds that they want to feed with their sin. We're bringing the kindness that leads them to repent of that sin. And we're bringing the grace that empowers them to grow beyond where they are right now. So let's just get super practical for a second. I know some of you guys are probably asking, well, then how do I lead people? How do I help people? If if I'm not going to enforce something, if I'm not going to be a spiritual policeman, then what do I do? Well, I've got three things for you. Number one, have good boundaries. Have good boundaries. Number two, have accountability. We'll talk about that in a second. And number three, use the Matthew 18 confrontation model that Jesus gave us. See, what happens as we lead people, as we even lead our own children, maybe even in your marriage, what we want to do is is we want to, to buck up, to be confident, to be overly confident, right? And to use our strength to bring about a change. But what God wants you to do is to have good boundaries. Look, let's just talk about a small group setting again. Uh, there are boundaries around what a leader can and can't do, Right. So do we shame someone when they make a mistake? No, absolutely not. But we do say, look, here's what the boundaries are biblically. And, you know, if this is a difficult thing for you right now to live within the confines of these, then this role is not a good fit. It can be as simple as that. You don't have to debase their character. You don't have to cut their momentum out from underneath them. You don't have to come against what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do, which I guarantee you is wanting to restore and grow and change that person. So boundaries are important. Number two, accountability, right? One of the biggest mistakes that we make is when we're in policeman mode, we assume everybody wants us to hold them accountable, but that's not really true life. We have to recognize what our relationship is really like. Does that person want you to be in that role with them? Have they invited you into that place? 
And if so, then when you hold them accountable, you're holding them accountable to the identity that they've been given in Christ alone. You're not holding them accountable to some sinless person. You're not holding them accountable to like um, their sinful nature even, right? We're not micromanaging and over-focusing on, on the mistakes that they're making. We're holding them into the likeness of Jesus and reminding them, look, this is not who you are. Where is the grace of God flowing in your life? Where are you avoiding the grace of God? What are you ultimately upset with God about? Most of the time when a believer begins to go into sin, there's some sort of unresolved issue between them and God that's going on. And if you come in to enforce them and try to make them change, you're going to just stuff that issue down farther. If we actually want to see people grow, we have to be willing to extend grace to help them uncover what that issue is so they can have resolve and they can be restored back into peace. So accountability is good. And finally, the Matthew 18 confrontation in those chapters, maybe 16, 17, 18 of Matthew is really good about how this works in the church. And it starts with take your issue to that person first. Take it to them first. If that doesn't work, then you bring in a second person. If that doesn't work, then you bring in a leader. Why? The whole goal of biblical confrontation is to restore someone back to their rightful nature as a child of God, not as a sinner, but as a child of God, all the while knowing everyone has permission to live the life they want to live. It might be painful for you and I when they choose to live differently than we want them to, but if we're going to be like Jesus— we're going to have to give them grace to make that choice. So as you're listening to this, if you are finding yourself feeling like, you know what, I, I operate in God's policeman mentality too much, maybe with your kids, maybe with friends, small group, maybe you're a leader in a church or in a business setting. I really want to challenge you. Love heals. Kindness leads to repentance and grace empowers growth. So take some time to think about that. Think about the ways in which maybe you're driven by fear to, you know, maybe the fear is what's causing you to want to control other people. Really get into what it is in you. For me, what I discovered was as I began to unpack how I was doing this wrongly, it became clear to me that I was really concerned about how I would be perceived as a leader based on how the people that followed me lived their lives. In other words, I felt like I would be seen as more influential if I had more people in my wake that were really living lives for Jesus, right? That's sort of a natural thought. But at what expense? Well, at the expense of the freedom of the people who were following me. I don't need other people to see me as influential. I don't. I, honestly, what I want them to see me as first and foremost is like Jesus, loving and kind and graceful. And yes, there's times where my strength comes in. Yes, there's times where it's needed. But most of the time, the biggest thing that's needed is my ability to connect with the loving heart of God and release that over someone else's life. Nine times out of 10, that's what someone needs more than they need my bossy side more than they need my intense opinions, more than they need my desire to control. We have to let all of that go. And if you're listening to this and you're saying, I think I'm being led by someone who is a spiritual enforcer, a, a policeman of sorts, I really want to challenge you to think about making a change with that. Maybe set some boundaries. Because look, if you're feeling insecure and you like the dynamic of having a strong person tell you how to be, imagine how that feels to Jesus. Jesus wants to be the leading voice in your life. 
and he wants to be it directly to you, not through someone else. And listen to me, friend, you have what it takes to be able to hear from God. You have what it takes to be led by God himself. You are not rejected by him on any level. He ripped the veil so that you and him could have the closest of closeness. He did that for you. You don't need someone strong to be that for you. You can have it from Jesus himself. So that's why I stopped being God's policeman. And I hope after listening to this, some of you guys will make that choice as well. Let me just leave you with these words. Love heals. Kindness leads to repentance. And grace empowers growth. Until next time, be blessed. So you've just listened to The Art of Being You with Rachel Wortman. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my podcast. And listen, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and rate or review this podcast on wherever you're listening from. Also, share it with a friend. Help me get the word out. Until next time, be blessed.